Rest. Rest. What is rest? Uh, <laughs> rest for me is quiet room by myself. Nobody needs me for anything for a few minutes. Um, I love my sleep, and my family makes fun of me for going to bed so early, but it's just what mama needs. So that's rest for me when I can not be needed for a few minutes, you know? Let my brain rest. I enjoy quiet time, time by myself. Um, in the cars, usually the time I get it. Um, so for me, rest looks like really being in the presence of the Lord. Um, I'm a counselor, so I'm always on the go. And just to have that silent time away from my husband, my kids, and just time with the Lord. I try to rest by finding quiet time within my day, whether that's before or after work, um, finding time just to relax with my husband and hang out. I actually love to rest by starting my day from rest with a cup of coffee. Um, usually my wife is nearby and uh, spending time in the Word and in prayer. And uh, as often as possible, I like to, to be outside. Sit on my couch and watch a movie. For me, we walk and we, I mean, that calms us down. But then uh, my time with the Lord, actually, is my most rest time. Um, I probably just read to just calm myself down or just sleep. <laughs> Jump in my bed and take a nap. So I think the best way to find rest is to be alone, maybe get in your word, pray. Uh, how do I relax and find rest? I typically uh, will hang around with some of my core friends um, that are strong believers, strong Christians, um, ones that can encourage me, build me up, um, but also just getting time to myself in the word um, and just being in a quiet place with God um, gives me a lot of spiritual rest and just helps me reset and refocus on him and things he has for me. So, I guess through music, I like playing guitar and real good way to kind of decompress de-stress. Um, you know, honestly, as crazy as it sounds, I really like to run to relax. I feel like just having time where I'm dedicated to like being fit and being like in tune with my body and doing those kind of like physical exercises actually relaxes me a lot more. Well, good morning. Man, it's great to be with you, North Campus, South Campus, online, family. Great question. How do you rest? I will confess from the very beginning, I do not run. Pure and simple, look at me. We know it's true and might as well confess it right there. Maybe the question isn't how do you rest? Maybe the real question is do I rest? And the reality for most Americans is I, I don't. Of all the words, the adjectives we could use to describe the American society, us as a people, rested is not one of them. I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? Probably this morning, if you're at one of our physical campuses, you have asked numerous people, how you doing? Over the course of a month, hundreds of times, you'll see somebody, and it's just common in the West Texas vernacular, how you doing? Has anybody answered you, I'm rested? Well rested is how I am. I talk to thousands of people in the course of the month, and I've done that for year after year after year. I have never had anybody tell me they were rested. I've had people say, well, I'm busy. Life is so full, I'm blowing and going. I've talked to people who went on a vacation. I ask them how they're doing after the vacation. They'll say, well, I think I need a vacation for my vacation. You know what I'm saying? But I've never had anybody say they are rested. It's not an overstatement to say that we as a society are a restless people. And that's interesting given the luxuries of modernity. Like, most people in a job get like paid time off. We get vacation. I know that's not absolute. I know that's not every job, but most jobs get vacation. They get paid sick time. Did you know that's relatively new in the world? 
I mean, it's like only 75 to 90 years old that that has become common, and it's only common in the Western world. It's not common in the world. For the rest of human history, no paid leave. In fact, we'll talk about it later on, but in the Bible, it was a big deal to take one day out of seven off called the Sabbath. For the most part, they were seven days on. Interestingly, most Americans with vacation, less than half actually utilize all their vacation. You add to the reality that there is a thing called paid holiday. If you're in the federal government, you get 11 paid holidays. Sometime in other jobs, you get six. Somewhere in between six and 11 is the number. The normal work week in our nation is five days, not six, not seven. And there are some businesses that are actually experimenting with four days to see if they can be just as productive. That means on average we get two if not three days off and you add to that the idea of remote work or a hybrid model where you can work from home and you can work from the office and something like that because we learned how to do that during the pandemic. We have all these luxuries of the modern world yet we do not feel rested. What if the issue isn't what we think it is? What if we're misdefining the word? Let me think about it. When I use the word rest, you think of what? Break. I've got my normal world, rest is a break. I get a break from work, I get a pause in school, I get a breather from the kids. We think of a vacation at the beach, like the houses that we have on our stages and things such as that. We think of less activity, more sleep. But what if, I'm just asking, Daring you to consider, what if rest isn't about the state of activities as much as it is the state of our soul? What if the image of a vacation at the beach with nothing to do, what if that's supposed to be the state of what's inside of us and not outside of us? And before you dismiss me in this whole growth series as a farce, I dare you to do the radical and look at your Bible. Open your Bible to the fourth chapter of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter four, if you don't have a Bible at our physical campuses, on the floor there's one underneath the chair in front of you and the risers there's one underneath your chair. At our online campus there's actually an icon that looks like a book, you can uh, click on that and turn to Hebrews chapter four. In our black colored Bible around our sanctuaries we're on page 1003. The passage we're gonna look at is one that has helped my life as probably as much as anything. Like most Americans, I look back on my life and one of the things I struggled with the most was rest. Actually taking breaks from life. Like many, my mental image, if you gave me the word rest, I thought of being lazy and unproductive. And I wasn't gonna do that. I think I've taken every personality assessment that we have created and all of them come out the same. I'm driven. I'm gonna make things happen. I'm like the American psyche on steroids. And I remember when I became an adult, and I know the time where you really get handed off into the adult world varies. Mine was actually the age 17, believe it or not. I left for college, my parents didn't have a lot. They kinda gave me a hug and a $20 bill and said, go adult, though they didn't know what that meant at the time. They said, go live your life. And I had to make decisions on how I was gonna live life. And I made the decision, I was gonna be successful. I was gonna produce and I was gonna go after it. And so I went in, into college, I took six to seven um, college classes per semester, 18 to 21 hours. I worked part-time at Sears and Roebuck. I also worked part-time as a ministry intern, so I worked full-time, went to school full-time. Add to that, I got married after my freshman year of college. The ripe old age of 19. And I know some of you are saying that is absolutely crazy. I have a belief. 
I actually think it has some biblical merit, though I have to hold it loosely because the Bible actually doesn't talk about dating. Um, back in the Bible days, if you want to do like dating the Bible way, you let your parents pick your spouse. Anybody in for that, youngins? Yeah, I didn't think so, right? So I think we have to hold it loosely, but I don't think you date till you're ready to mate. Just a personal thing, when I was 18, I found the young lady that I wanted to have as my wife. I was convinced God had led me to her, and 37 years later, I am more convinced than ever that that is reality. What I'm telling you is through undergraduate school and graduate school, I ran. Like, I ran really, really hard. And I'll be honest with you, by all the measures of American society, I was successful. I had an envious grade point average. I was promoted at work, and I had a ministry that was growing the whole time I was doing it. And for years, what I thought, that anything that smelled of not being productive, it was not only weak, but it was unspiritual and such. It's not that I didn't rest. I couldn't rest. But even in a life like that, there are those rare moments where you're quiet and you hear that voice inside of you. Just a little side note, I think the reason we as Americans are so in love with noise is we don't want to hear what's going on inside of us. And I would have those rare moments when I'd look inside of me. And what was going on deep within in here, it did not line up with the scripture. I mean, I was studying the scripture in school. I was leading the ministry. I knew what the scripture said. Like, I knew Romans 15, 13 said, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the implication to me is if I trust in him, I'm gonna be full of what? Joy and peace. If I trust in him and am empowered by the Holy Spirit, I am going to overflow with what? Hope in life, the evidence of a life of faith, the fruit of a life empowered by the Spirit is joy, peace, and hope in life. Notice, the passage doesn't say anything about your circumstances. It doesn't say whether your political party won the election or not. It doesn't talk about the state of work that you have right now. It doesn't talk about how your kids are doing, anything like that. It just says joy, peace, and hope are the fruit of a life of faith, no matter the situation. And come on, think about it. If you had joy, peace, and hope, Joy that's not dependent upon circumstances. Peace that transcends understanding. Hope that is more than mere wishful think, thinking, but a confident that the God who loves us holds all things in his hand, is working all things together for the good of those who love him. And one day he is going to finish what he has begun. He is going to return. We're going to see him face to face, and that which our heart aches for is going to be ours. If you had those things, joy, peace, and hope deep within, and they were governing your soul, would it not be at rest. But I looked at my life and I was active. I was producing little joy, little peace, little hope, restless. And then one day I was reading the Bible. And I will confess to you, I read the Bible as another thing to check off to accomplish but God is so gracious that sometimes even when you're doing things that really the motive wasn't quite right, I really wasn't listening, the Bible as I was reading it actually read me. And I remember when I read the ninth verse of Hebrews chapter four, and it says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now stop right there for a moment. If you go home and you read Hebrews three and four this week, which would be a great thing to do, you're gonna discover that the Hebrew writer is actually comparing 
our salvation in Jesus to the journey of ancient Israel out of Egyptian slavery into the land of promise. It's likely you've heard the story because no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, one of the most common accounts of the Bible known in our society is the story of the Exodus. Been a lot of great movies made about the Exodus. A guy by the name of Moses is called by God to go to the most powerful man on planet Earth and say, let my people go, says God. God does 10 powerful works through Moses. Decides, man, I gotta let these people go or Egypt is gonna die. The people leave, then Pharaoh changes his mind. He chases the millions of Israelites that have left. They get cornered in the Red Sea and then God does that great thing where he parts the water of the Red Sea. The people of Israel walk across on dry ground. Then when Pharaoh and his armies try to follow after them, they're consumed and the exodus is complete. Israel is free. Say free. Here's something, though. God has never been interested in merely setting people free from slavery. God's heart is so grand, so glorious, so full of love. He desires that we live in the abundance of his promises. For ancient Israel, the promise wasn't just to be free from Egyptian slavery. The promise was a land, a land promised to them through their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Interestingly, in the Old Testament, it is often referred to as the land of rest. Moses sent 12 scouts into the land. 10 of them came back. And they said, God didn't lie to us. The land is incredible. It is in the image, it's like it's flowing with milk and honey. The produce is incredible. But the people there are big. Their cities are well fortified. Their armies are massive and they've been spending a lot of money on defense and we've just been a bunch of slaves. There is no possible way a group of former slaves can go into this land and somehow be victorious in battle. Moses, we would be crazy to follow and go after this. Now two of the scouts, Joshua and Caleb said, no, no, God who delivered us from Egyptian slavery, God who parted the Red Sea, he will empower us to be victorious. But the people didn't listen to the two, they listened to the 10 and they said no. And for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. So catch this. For 40 years, Israel was free. But Israel did not enter into the rest. And the Hebrew writer is saying in Hebrews 4 that many followers of Jesus are the exact same. Jesus followers in the first century to whom he was writing, Jesus followers today. You see, when we give our lives to Jesus as his follower, we are forgiven of our sins. Somebody say amen to that. We are set free from the slavery of sin. But the scripture is clear. Salvation is not a one-time event. Salvation is a process. Say process. We say it this way. We take next steps. It's a journey where we are entering into everything that God has for us, all his promises. We do it by faith. Yet in the first century, Today, many are refusing to enter into the place of rest. Rest that is available to us no matter the circumstances. But the heart of God is that we would lay hold of rest. More than we know, the Father longs. He desires for us not just to have moments of rest. God's promise for us isn't just breaks in life. He wants us to have a life that is characterized by rest. Is that not the invitation of Jesus? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. That's America right there. Isn't that interesting? That's America, though, we get paid holidays. 
We only work five days a week. We get vacation time. We get Christmas and New Year's and summer's off if we're in school, yet we still feel weary and burdened. Almost as if those things aren't what give you rest. Come to me, says Jesus, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Notice Jesus doesn't say, hey, follow me, and I'm going to give you frequent moments or breaks in life. You're going to go, 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 but I'm going to give you a lot of breaks, and you're going to be okay. No, no, he says, as you work, that's what it means to take up my yoke. Yoke is a tool of work. As you work, if you live your day-to-day life, as you learn from me, you are to do so from a place of Rest, there therefore remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Notice, it's available for us. It's right there for you and I. It is promised by God. But like every promise of God, it doesn't just happen. Look down at verse 11. Let us therefore strive. Let us therefore labor. Isn't it interesting? We work to rest. We strive to enter the rest of God. Every promise of God in the scripture is one that we have to possess by faith. We must strive to live a restful life. We must take steps of faith to step into what God has for us. You see, what God has been doing through Jesus is restoring back to us our original design. You go back to the book of Genesis. And you read in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 how God designed everything, the way humanity was supposed to be, and then it got messed up. And the rest of the Bible is God with his glorious heart seeking to restore humanity to the original design. In the biblical account of creation, humanity, man and woman, are created on day six. Five days God has created. Sixth day he creates. And it seems from the text that the last thing he creates on day six is humanity. Now think about this. God could have chosen to create man and woman any time in the process. He could have done it on day two. He could have done it on day four. He could have done it on day three. He could have done it any day, but he purposely chose day six. He purposely chose at the end of day six. And then according to the scripture on day seven, God did what? God rested. He who never gets tired, he who never gets weary, he who is never overwhelmed by anything, the all-sufficient one, rested. I challenge God rested not because he needed to, but because he was modeling for Eve and for Adam the way he made them. The first full day of Adam and Eve's existence, day seven, was a day of rest. The first full day humanity existed in a sinless state was a place of rest. Humanity was created not to work and then rest. The Father's design that we would live out our mission not for a place of rest, but from a place of rest. In the creation count, it says seven times something like this. It was evening and it was morning and then it was the first day. Notice, it's not morning then evening, it's evening then morning. In Jewish thought, because of this, the day doesn't start in the morning, the day starts in the evening. In the evening, the sun goes down, the day begins in ancient world when you had no electricity, when oil was expensive, when candles were expensive, when the sun went down and you didn't want to use all your resources for light, guess what you did? You went to bed. I know it's a radical thought, the sun went down, they went to bed, and then they got up. In the biblical worldview, they didn't end their day with sleep, but they 
started their day with sleep. Days started with rest, and then life was lived. Listen to me. The heart of God, his desire for your life, one of the reasons Jesus came was that we would not have moments of rest. See, some of you think that I'm going to get up here and tell you you need to take more breaks in life. It goes deeper than that. It goes far deeper. The Father wants our lives not with moments of rest, but a life characterized by rest. See, rest is God's desire. It's his design for our lives. And I don't know about you, but when I think about it, I think about a soul governed by joy, peace, and hope. An unburdened soul. An unweary soul. When I think of that, I know my heart aches for it. It longs for it. But right now, I'm thinking exactly what you're thinking. It's impossible. I mean, come on, we've proven as an American society, as a world in the West, that more days off aren't going to give us the rest we need. There are some people in the business world right now that are saying we need to take the European model of business. In the European model, the government actually mandates often an amount of vacation for every employee. The common number, one month. Some of you saying, come on, we want some of that, right? I've been to Europe. I've not only been to Europe, I've talked to European leaders. And with all the things that they do, all the laws they have for employees, they don't feel any more at rest than we do. Because the answer to rest isn't breaks in life. And we now know that. And there's a part of us, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. And we think that must be heaven. Listen to me. We don't have to wait for heaven for heavenly things to become more of a reality in our lives. If that were the case, why do we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. Heavenly things should be coming more and more of a reality in our lives. I know it ultimately happens in heaven, but the rest of heaven should be coming more and more and more a reality in our lives. And you say, David, that's impossible. And Jesus speaks to the impossible and says, yeah, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things. Come on, America. Come on, church, all things are possible with God. What God promises, he will empower. But we have to partner with him by faith. We have to strive to enter the place of rest. And you're probably saying, well, David, how in the world do we do that? Look at the next verse. It's interesting. Often when you ask a, uh, a question of the Bible, just keep reading. Verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now don't miss this. Verse 11, look at your passage. It commands us. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest of God. And then immediately in verse 12, it says, for the word of God is living and active. We are told about the power of the word of God, how it can penetrate deep inside of us, and it can begin to separate things out. It can show us lies from truth, and we can line up with truth so that we we can have the promises of God. Why does it tell us that? Rest is based more on what we truly believe than what we do. Right there, you're gonna struggle. But I'm telling you, it's the absolute truth. It's why we can take our days off, maximize our vacation, minimize our schedule, um, get rid of some possessions in life and still not feel rested. It's why you think when my kids are grown and gone, come on, when my kids are gone, like, out of here, off the payroll, then I will 
rest. And everybody who is empty nesting going, you're naive. It doesn't change a thing. It's amazing how life just keeps going in life. And we keep thinking rest will come here. Rest will come here. No. Rest is based more on what we believe than what we do. Rest is about how we think far more than the activity of our lives. But believe it or not, that really shouldn't shock us. When you read the scripture, the scripture says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And we naturally think, if I'm not supposed to conform to the pattern of this world, I'm not supposed to do the things the world does. So we would think, if I'm not to conform to the pattern of the world, don't do the things the world does. But that's not what the scripture says. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? Renewing your mind. I love the way one author says it. Under God's economy, nothing really changes until our minds do. Transformation is the fruit of a changed outlook. First our minds are renewed, then we are transformed, and then everything is different, even if it stays the same. Read that again. First our minds are renewed, then we are transformed, and everything is different, even if it stays the same. God is more interested in changing your thinking than in changing your circumstances. And rest, come on. Rest is not just a break from the norms of life. Take my yoke, Jesus said. Learn of me and my ways as you live your day-to-day life. And I can take weary and burdened souls and I can turn them into rested souls. Rest is about what we believe far more than what we do. If we would dare strive to live the restful life, we must allow God to settle four questions in our lives. These are four questions we're gonna journey over the next weeks on. Please hear me. When I talk about settling four questions, I'm not talking about the normal mindset where I get facts I can regurgitate on a test. When we do in modern education, we say, man, if we wanna educate someone, we give them knowledge. Knowledge in our mind is the ability to spout spout back the right answer to the right question. That's not what the Bible means by knowledge. What the scripture means by knowledge is when I deeply hold to something and I believe it. And so if I'm gonna let God settle something, then I am going to invite God to go deep inside of me. Verse 12 of the text, where he is gonna divide like soul and spirit. I don't know what that looks like, but I think it's pretty deep inside of us. Joints and marrow. I'm not a biologist, I'm not a doctor, nor do I play one on TV, okay? But I know when you start taking joints and marrow apart, you're getting to the deep, deep recesses. And the image is God wants to go deep with his word and give us freedom here. And when we settle these questions, questions, believe it or not, social scientists have been telling us for the last few decades are the core issues of humanity. God's been telling us a long time ago, when these issues are deeply settled by the gospel, the result is rest. The questions are simple. And spouting back the answers, simple. Possessing the answers, having them settled, takes a measure of faith that will require the empowerment of God himself. The questions, who am I? The question of identity. Everyone's looking to know who they are. Whose am I? It's a question of love, acceptance. What do I have? Really probably the way most ask this question, do I have enough? Isn't it interesting? We're the wealthiest society in the history of human existence. And we wonder, do I have enough? It's a question of security. 
what can I do? Or does my life on this planet even matter? I mean, think about it. If the theory of evolution is correct and we are just statistical accidents, then our goal is to survive and make it. But if the biblical account is right, we are created in the image of God. And according to Acts 17, God determined the time, dates, and place you're supposed to live. He determined exactly when you were supposed to be born, exactly where you're supposed to be. Somebody's saying, I'm mad at God. I'm in Abilene. Didn't want to be here. And he did it so that we reach out and can find him and can actually have a life that fulfills its purpose on planet Earth. Who am I? Whose am I? What do I have? What can I do? We settle them in that order. It brings rest. Here's how most of us live. We start with I do things. From doing things, I have things. And from doing and having, I somehow try to forge an identity. That is opposite of the gospel. The gospel says that while I was still powerless and could do nothing, Christ Jesus died for me. I receive Christ Jesus and I become. And what you become in Jesus is staggering. If we even begin to believe to the nth degree what the scripture says is true of us in Jesus Christ, we would have to fight the big head because it is so grand. We start with being, and from being, we have. Everything of the Father's, ours. Not our control, but what the Father has, we have. And from what we have, we can do. And I promise you, the destiny for your life is to do far more than you can ask or imagine. But most of us think what I can do is dependent upon me and I can't have a lot, I don't do a lot and we have it all backwards. But I'm telling you, when we settle these questions, we settle these questions, the result is rest. The reason most people are restless is because these questions aren't settled deep within. They're not settled by the gospel. So over the next several weeks, I believe we are gonna take some major steps forward to settle these questions, to have these things worked out deep within our spirits. And I'm confident of this, listen to me. I am confident that when we do so, we are gonna be able to live a life of more and more rest. Does that sound incredible? Listen, I will testify to you, it is possible. I don't know of many people who've lived a more driven life than I have. I can go back and tell you more story after more story after more story. All the things I was doing was try to settle those four questions. And I can tell you by the grace of God, 43 years of walking with him, I'm at more rest. Have I arrived? By no means. I'm so excited about the journey because I want to go deeper. I will even tell you, in the pandemic, I saw some weaknesses and I stepped backwards. But I didn't step, step back all the way to where I was. I can testify to you that rest is something that we can enter. When Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest, he wasn't giving us some fantasical idea that never can become reality until we get to heaven. It can become more and more ours right now. And I dare you to grab hold of it. The scripture says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And some of you are hung up on that word Sabbath. We'll talk about it in a couple weeks. Let's just say for now, there remains a rest of the soul 
from God, for the people of God. It can become ours, but we must strive to enter into the restful life, and that's what we're gonna do over the next weeks. When the scripture commands us, let us then for strive to enter the rest of God. What we're doing as a church is we're just saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And if in your mind right now you're going, I don't know how it's going to look, that's okay. If it's, I don't even think it's possible, that's okay. We just got to take a step of faith saying, God, I'll take the step of faith with you and I will see you do what is impossible with me. I want to encourage you strongly to be a part of this. And I know we're challenging you. I think there's something that is desperately needed in the church today. Fully engaged. And when I say fully engaged, attend every service. You can start, if you're going to be out of town, start with Plus Thursday. We have two services at our South Campus, three at our North Campus. You have six opportunities. You can be a part of something. If those don't work in a pinch, use the online. But be a part of every service. Be a part of a group. You will not grow without community. Pure and simple. That's all through the scripture. You're not going to grow like you want to without it. You can still join a group. Just go to the website, click on Restful Life, and there's a way to sign up, and our team will get you put um, sign, uh, connected with the group as quickly as possible. You can read our book entitled Called to Rain. It's available in our foyers at our physical campus. Online retailers have it. They can get it to you pretty quick. You know, Amazon, two days. If you know, sometimes two days is like a week now, just a different world. But anyway, um, it's two days. This week, we're reading the introduction in chapter one. Don't fall behind. Start now, okay? And it's going to be incredible. And then fourth, it's not too late to invite somebody. God puts you where you are to be who you are. And one of the things you can be is just be somebody who brings the hope of Jesus. Even knowing I have some, some things to work on, the people that are in your world are weary. They're burdened. They're overwhelmed, and we have an answer in Jesus. Just invite them to join you. Let God do the work in their lives. There remains a Sabbath rest for you. Look at me, please. There's a Sabbath rest for you. Could you just hold on, grab hold of it a little bit by faith? God has got something for your soul. Joy, not dependent upon a circumstance. Peace that transcends understanding. Hope that is a confidence of what is to come. Rest. There remains a Sabbath rest for you as the people of God. Let us, therefore, strive to enter the rest. Let's bow our heads. Both campuses right now, online, family. We're just going to pray real quick. That's all you got to do. I just hear the word impossible. Some of you are thinking, David, I can't even imagine that being rested inside is possible. I mean, if you hear rest for your souls, don't you hear less and less worry? Less and less depression? Less and less being overwhelmed? That's what I hear. More trust. More joy more peace. I know it sounds impossible. I speak the word over you, what Jesus said. With you, doing it your own way, it is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. So the journey is going to require just a step of faith. That's all you got to do. Is be willing to take the step of faith. And so if you'd say, God, I want to take that step of faith. This feels impossible. 
but I want to have more faith than I ever have that you will do the impossible in me and let it overflow from me to others. God, I want faith for the impossible. If you are going to ask God for that, put your hands up right now and say, God, give me faith for the impossible. I want rest for my souls. So I want you to put your hands down. Second question, then I pray. Would you ask God for the grace to be open to anything he wants to say and do in your life? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Goes in, cuts to the body and of soul and moral joints, soul and spirit. He just says, I gotta be open. The restlessness we have is because we haven't grabbed hold of some things of the Lord. That's okay, let's just grab hold of them. But we've gotta be open to whatever he wants to say, however he wants to say it. The word of God's gonna come not just through the messages from the book you read, from your community and the way you discuss. And if you say, God, give me grace to be open to whatever you wanna say, if you want that, put your hand up. Say, God, give me grace, I wanna be open. Father, we hear your word. There remains a Sabbath rest for us, your people. Many of us have to confess we've not entered into that rest or we've not entered totally into that rest. Forgive us. But we want grace to strive to enter that rest. Give us courage, give us grace, and give us openness to whatever you want to do. And let us begin to model for our world a different kind of life. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.